morning and Merry Christmas once again. Now, I asked a question in the morning with uh, breaking of bread, but I'll ask a similar question I'd like, to, I'd like to ponder this morning. To what lengths would you go to deliver a message? How far would you go? Now, I think we've all had some point in our lives where we've urgently wanted to get hold of someone. We might try giving them a telephone call. Now, if that doesn't work, we might try calling again and again. If that doesn't work, then we might try some other means. Maybe we'll try texting someone. We might try emailing. Or if you're really old-fashioned, you might try a handwritten letter. Now, these days, a lot of ways we communicate are pretty cheap and effortless. Now, we might be a little reluctant to make a phone call if we learn it's going to have long-distance charges. We might balk a little bit if we have to send a letter and we find there's a higher postage rate attached to it. But then there's some problems. Sometimes there's a lot lost in transit. There's things that are not um, communicated very well with what I just mentioned, with email or texting or phone calls. There can be a lot lost in communication. When I'm sending someone a text or email, you may not see my tone. You might not see my emotion. Maybe something I'm writing may come across as angry or rude in my email, but that's really not my intent. And when I'm talking to someone on the phone, sure, you might hear the emotion in my voice, you might hear my tone, but you miss a lot in people's facial expression, in their body language. The fact is, there's really nothing quite like a face-to-face conversation. But the face-to-face conversation can be troublesome. Maybe a person I really want to talk to lives very far away. Maybe they live in a bad part of town. Or maybe it's just hard uh, to find a convenient time where we can both meet at the same time. But this morning, let's consider the great lengths that God went to speak to us. I read this verse in the morning, but we're going to read a little more of it. This is in Hebrews chapter 1. God, who at various times and various ways spoken time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Now, I went over a lot of different forms of how we communicate these days in the 21st century, whether it's texting, telephone calls, emails, letters, or the face-to-face conversation. But the method of communication God has used, as mentioned in Hebrews, to talk with us is through his son, the Lord Jesus. So for that in mind, let's take a look at 
lot of verses dealing with the Christmas story. I'm just going to be skipping through some of the verses in the Gospels. We'll start off first in Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And let's skip over to Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 4. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you, you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Now looking at the Lord Jesus in those verses I mentioned, just to make it clear, Jesus did not come into existence on the day he was born in Mary. He already existed as God before this in eternity past. Now it says in Genesis 1.1, God created the heavens and the earth. This is the same God who in Colossians, it said of the Lord Jesus that all things were created through him and for him. And when you look at the Lord Jesus in these passages, this is the same God who knows how many hairs you have on your head and he knows all the stars by name. This is the same God who, in the Psalms, it says, his understanding is infinite. And in Isaiah 6, it says of the Lord Jesus that he, when he saw him, he saw God sitting high on his throne, high and lifted up, and speaking 
with a voice which shook the doorposts of the temple. So the same baby is the same God who existed from eternity past. He was there at the creation of the world thousands of years ago and before the world was even created. Now it says in Philippians, I'll just read uh, this quote from Philippians 2, verses 5 and 7. It says of the Lord Jesus that though he was God, he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men. This is what happened when Jesus was born. Now, we can really understand only to a very limited extent what it means to make yourself of no reputation. Now, there have been different social experiments done where someone of great importance might disguise himself or herself as a nobody to see what happens. Now, I've only watched, clipped up, I've only watched little excerpts of this show, but there's a show called Undercover Boss where the head of a large corporation will disguise himself as one of his, his employees. And no one knows that. And everyone who sees him walk into the workplace just thinks he's the average Joe. Now, he never stops being the boss of the company. He's still the head of the corporation, but no one recognizes him as such. And there was also a little stunt done um, several, a number of years ago where there's a world-famous violinist named Joshua Bell. Now, he's the kind of guy that you would spend over $300 to watch in concert. And normally, he's very recognizable. He's usually dressed in a fine suit, playing his violin worth $3.5 million. But uh, one day, he decided to do a little stunt where he went to a metro station and disguised himself as a street performer, just in regular street clothes. And he still did the same things he always did. He, he was still playing his violin worth over $3 million. He was still playing some of the finest pieces ever composed in classical music. But no one recognized him. And everyone passed him by and ignored him. Almost everyone. A few noticed him, but most people just passed him by. But you know, these analogies I'm making, they really all fall very short because the way that the Lord humbled himself was much greater. Now, God is so great that says in Psalm 113, verse 6, it says that he humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and on the earth. Now, picture me... um, stooping down to look at something really tiny in the ground. Maybe there's something really, a tiny little bug crawling on the floor. I have to really stoop down to see what's there. Now that's what the Lord is doing with us. And, you know, the things that we consider great and huge, like we look at the moon and the stars, those are things that the Lord has to humble himself to stoop down to look at. Now, elsewhere, it says, this is in Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 22. It says of God that it is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. 
So God's so great that you and me, we're just like insects in his sight. So when you think of God himself coming down to the earth in the person of the Lord Jesus, it's sort of like if we were to reduce ourselves to the size of an insect, and a baby insect of that. So why would God do this? Now, to make it really clear, the Lord Jesus in his time here on earth, he never stopped being God. Even though the Lord Jesus was a baby, this was still the same God who I said created the universe and was holding it together. Why would God himself come down to earth as a baby? Who would voluntarily subject themselves to being an infant? Now, I have to say, I never realized until um, four months ago when um, my son was born, Gabriel, I never realized just how helpless a little baby is. I mean, I really didn't know just how little he's able to do. I mean, he really can't do much. Because if, if I leave him in one part of the house, he really can't go anywhere. I leave him in one part of the house, he's stuck there until someone else decides to pick him up. He can't really do much in the way of communication. I um, mean, he'll make different cries and grunts, and I can try and deduce to think, okay, he's probably hungry, maybe there's a diaper change needed, maybe he's sleepy. Sometimes it's a process of elimination, but he really is not that good at communication. And this is no offense to him, I'm just saying the facts. And, you know, there's some little things I never even thought about. You know, I was surprised to discover, and maybe I shouldn't have been surprised, that he couldn't even pick his own nose. If he had a little booker in his nose, he couldn't take it out. I had to take it out for him. That just was a, I was just stunned by that the day that happened. And my baby boy, he's extremely vulnerable. He really can't protect himself from anything. If there was a spider crawling above him, you know, he can't squash it. I have to take care of that. You know, the fact is, we really take for granted the things that we're able to do as adults for ourselves. You know, any normal adult is able to use a bathroom by themselves, they can dress themselves, they can walk, they can talk. In fact, if any adult person was not able to do these things, we would think there was something seriously wrong. Now, in my line of work, I'm a physical therapist. You know, I often see people who have had a major injury or a stroke, and they've, they have often lost the ability to do one or more of these things. And they're desperately wanting to get back to being able to do those things, whether it's walking or talking, or being able to dress themselves, or just use a bathroom on their own. There is no one I know who would voluntarily give up the ability to do these things. And, and like I said, a lot of the patients I've had who may have had an injury or a stroke or something, they would, be, they would be overjoyed just to be able to talk again normally or to eat solid food. And now we look at um, God coming in the, form, in the form of a baby. 
It's not just that God subjected himself to being a baby. You see how he was born. He was born in very poor circumstances. Now, I was thinking about this when uh, my son Gabriel was born in August, but my son Gabriel, we, um, me and Christina, we got to go to San Leandro Kaiser Hospital for his delivery. And that's a very good hospital. It's the newest one in the area. So it's, you know, we had a nice warm room. I had a little cot to sleep in. Um, just about every few minutes, it seemed like there was a nurse or a doctor checking on Christina to see how she was doing. And when the time came for Gabriel to be born, there were, actually, there were a couple of nurses there ready to put Gabriel in a crib that was nearby and wrap him up. And he had a spotless crib to sleep in that night when he was born. And you know, that's what any parent would want for their new baby. They'd want to be, you know, have their baby in the best possible place they could be taken care of. But now we look at the Lord Jesus. Our Lord Jesus was born in a stable. You know, stable is not a nice, clean, warm place. It's actually pretty dirty. I mean, it's where you keep animals. It's not a place uh, you would want to sleep, let alone have a baby born. You know, there was no bed for Joseph and Mary to lie down on. Perhaps there was some hay in the ground. And Jesus had no crib. They put him in a manger, which is a feeding trough for animals. And there was no midwife or doctor to help there with that delivery. So, if God left, God, if God himself left his throne in heaven and came down to earth as a baby in these kind of circumstances to speak with me, well, he must have something very important to say to me. Now, going back to that verse in Hebrews, we see that God did communicate with people in different ways. That first verse says that God at various times and in various ways spoke to the fathers by the prophets. God sometimes spoke to prophets by visions, sometimes in dreams. Sometimes God would send an angel to speak with someone. When Jesus came to earth as a baby, this was God himself coming in person to talk face-to-face with people. So what was the Lord's message to us? There was some bad news he had to tell us. And something, um, you know, I see this in healthcare a lot. When there's some seriously bad news. This is not the kind of thing you want to tell someone by email or by paper or by letter. This is something you have to tell people in person. Like when someone gets diagnosed with something like terminal cancer, you don't send them a letter in the mail telling them they have that. That would be a horrible way of sharing bad news with someone. It's the kind of conversation that needs to be done in person. 
want to make sure there's no possible miscommunication or, or misunderstanding. If, if my doctor sent me a letter in the mail telling me that I have stage four, um, a stage four osteosarcoma, well, I might not know what that is. I might just chuck the letter in the mail and just think nothing of it. And I would have no idea that my doctor was really trying to tell me that I was dying of cancer. Lord came to tell us of the great trouble we were in. Now, he had a lot of words for our condition. Our condition. He called us blind. As people, we were lost. We were sick. We were slaves of sin. We were evil. We were children of the devil. The Lord spent a lot of his time on earth warning people about hell as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, just like a good physician, a good doctor tells a patient bad news when they need to hear it, the Lord brought us the bad news we had to hear. That we were literally in grave danger, that we were sinners, dead in our sins, and that we were on our way to hell. We had, do, we had done many things to personally offend a holy God. But then there was some good news. That even though there was no hope of me saving myself, Jesus had come to earth so that he could save me from my sins. Now, even in the Christmas story, there's a foreshadowing of the cross and the Lord Jesus' sufferings. Now, I didn't read these verses at first, but I'm sure you all remember the wise men in the Christmas story. I'll just read a few verses from Matthew chapter 2. Verse 10, talking about the wise men. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now the gifts, they all speak about some aspect of the Lord Jesus. Now, gold is a kingly gift. It's a gift that uh, points to the Lord's deity, him being God. Frankincense was used as perfume. It speaks of the fragrance of the Lord and leading a holy, sinless life. Then we come to that third gift, though. The gift of myrrh. What is that? Myrrh is a bitter herb. It's used in the process of embalming. That's the process of preparing a dead body. It was symbolic of the sufferings of Christ and his death. And let's fast forward to 30 years later. A little over 30 years after his birth, the Lord would be dying on a cross for you and for me. Now going back to that verse in Hebrews about God speaking to us through his son, what was God trying to say by having a son on the cross? Actually, one um, actually Jake shared this already during the breaking of bread. During the breaking of bread, but really God was telling us, in essence, 
to every one of us here who is dying for, I love you. I love you so much that I want to take the penalty for your sin. I don't want you to go to hell. I want you to be, have an eternity in heaven. So as a believer, how do I, how do I apply the Christmas story to my life? Now, of course, as I consider what the Lord Jesus has done for me, and how far he went to deliver his message. Of course, it caused me to worship him. That's what the wise men did immediately on seeing the Lord Jesus. But then there's something else also. Now, something, this is, this is um, a part of the story I forgot until I reread um, the verse in the Bible about the Christmas story just uh, this past week. So we'll turn to, back to Luke chapter 2. What did the shepherds do after they saw the Lord Jesus? Did they just go home? No. We'll read uh, starting at verse uh, 15. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph, and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Now the shepherds had just been told by an angel that a savior had been born to them. This was the one whom another angel said would save his people from their sins, would save people from an eternity in hell. And without having to, be, having to be told to, we see the shepherds basically acting as evangelists. They decide to make this widely known to everyone they knew. They went talking to everyone about Jesus, to everyone they could find. Now, I asked at the beginning of this message, to, you know, to what lengths would you go to deliver a message? And we see the Lord, he went to the greatest possible lengths to deliver his message. He humbled himself, he was born as a baby under the poorest circumstances. And to deliver his message, he was obedient to God the Father to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now, the Lord Jesus, in, when he, coming to his disciples, he told them before he went into heaven, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You know, I have to confess, too often, I have to confess, too often I have not made the Lord Jesus as widely known as I should to, to those people around me. Well, you know, when we think about the message that is, has been entrusted to us, it's highly valuable. It's worth the Son of God's life. It has the power to save a person from hell. You know, if I don't share the gospel with people, if I don't share about Christ, it's like I have something extremely good 
I'm withholding from other people around me who, def who desperately need it. I'd be like someone who has been given the cure to terminal cancer and I'm not sharing with people around me who are seriously ill. Well, as we leave today, you know, let's be like, as believers, let's, let's be like those shepherds who made widely known the saying which was told to them concerning the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your coming. We thank you, Lord, that you condescend to come to us. We thank you, Lord, for all you've done in saving our souls. We just want to worship you and as we go out from here. We pray for opportunities to make you widely known to those around us who don't know you. To pray this in your name, Lord.